Welcome to this episode of the Comedy Defect Podcast. My name is Winter, I'm a comedian, and this is my show. Those that are new to the show, welcome. Those that are old to the show, welcome back, guys. This episode is with a very funny comedian, Michael Mee. I first met Michael when I was about 15, 20 gigs in to starting comedy, and I was awful. I was doing weird characters, I didn't know who I was, what I was doing, and I was doing a soft middle spot in my hometown of Skibbereen, above a pub called O'Brien's. And we were booked by this guy called John Collins. And I first met John when I was hitching home one time. And he was a colourful character. He uh, was involved in all the drama society every year, the Christmas panto and everything like that. And he booked us to do this gig. Of course, I was doing the soft middle spot. Michael was closing and he was amazing. I didn't know what he was doing or how he was doing it. It really was a lesson for me and how it could be done. But this is a great conversation with Michael and me, um, who's like been on the Late Late Show, done loads of Irish television, been to New York, been travelled around the world, done loads of gigs. He's actually writing a book at the moment we can talk about at the end of the podcast. So watch Michael's Twitter. His handle is at Michael underscore me T double O. That's at Michael underscore me T double O. Michael is also on Facebook, so go and follow him on all of the socials so you know when he's next gigging, because his stuff is great. It's really smart, well-written comedy. So that's Michael Me. So on Twitter, again, his handle is at Michael underscore me. T-double-O. I say he's got a book coming out, so go and check that out as well. You can also follow this podcast on Twitter. It's going to be just me. Winter Dominus is my handle. That's Winter, D-O-M-I-N-U-S. And you can find me on Instagram. We have a Facebook page, and we also have a Comedy Defect Facebook group if you want to find out when the podcasts are coming out there. And if you like this podcast enough and you want to donate, you can. You can go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast, and donate as much as you think this podcast is worth. And if you can't donate, that's okay. Just tell your friends about your favourite episode because it tells people where we are and what we're up to. And that's it for now for this intro. So this is a great episode with a very funny, very smart comedian, Michael Mee, for episode 87. Enjoy. Michael Mee, thank you so much for spending the next hour and a bit with me on The Comedy Defect. How are you doing? Good winter, thank you very much. What have you been up to? What have I been up to? Uh, I'm locked down, so um, <laughs> I haven't done a gig since January 12 months, so that feels uh, very strange. Yeah. It's the big, biggest gap since I started in 97, even though I'm not doing as many gigs as I used to, which we might get into. But I've been writing a book. So that's what I've been trying to do. I mean, the third lockdown has been a bit harder to... I have kind of health issues, mm. and that's kind of part of it, but it's just hard to be to be doing creative work. I find when you're not living a normal life of being able to meet people and yeah. just, you know, like, first lockdown, I just worked like I had been working on the book before the lockdown mm. and it was fine but I, I must say and, and most people I talk to have said that the third lockdown like we've had a different lockdown than you have over yeah. there anyway like yeah. I mean you know with respect it felt like the British were kind of they were half doing it and yeah. you know the, like we really did it pretty severely from the start but yeah. I think now the weather is improving uh, here anyway we've had a little bit of spring Another thing I was doing was uh, I had a radio show, a music show. But it's called Pimp My iPod. Yeah. Um, so the links would be, you know, often me telling stories and stuff, but it's not, it's not really stand-up, you know. I'd just be a big music head. So I was doing that in RT digital radio for years, and I'd actually stopped because they weren't really... They weren't paying us at all, and then they said, okay, we'll start paying you 20 euro a show. Yeah. And... As my girlfriend says, well, this is worse. Because yeah. They've thought, they've, oh, they've thought about God. how much you're worth. And this is what oh. come up with, you know? Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a kick in the nuts, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're always crying poor in RTE, mm. rightly or wrongly. But uh, right. I sort of felt I would I'd spent uh, eight years at it, and uh, it was time to go. Really. Yeah. So then when the lockdown happened, I started doing the show just off my own bat as a kind of a podcast. Yeah. And I was doing these kind of coronavirus specials, oh. you know, Love Like Anthrax and yeah. uh, 
you know, talking heads, some people say not to worry about the air and, you know, all that kind of coronavirus yeah. team stuff. Great. So I did, I did a bunch of them and then I said, well, I'm doing a lot of work for nothing and I stopped. And then I started doing shows because there's a, there's a Twitter poll where aging music nerds like myself send in their top three albums in a certain year. And then at the end, the guy tabulates them and it's a chart and everybody spends a week debating, you know, well, what's the best album of 1968 or whatever, you know. So I started doing tie-in shows for that where I just take a year like 1985 or whatever they were doing and I just do a special show on that. And like, the, the trouble is, I don't know whether you find this, is mm. that in theory you have a captive audience because everybody's yeah. locked down. But then every you know, I hate the word content creator, but every yeah. content creator in the world has nothing to do, only pump stuff out. So yeah. it's actually harder to get an audience during this time I found. Yeah, you know? and you can swear, by the way, in this podcast, it doesn't matter. You can swear as much as you want. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure I was going to, but uh, so those fucking content creators. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, like Tim Burgess alone, I don't mm -hmm. know whether you know that guy. Do you know that guy from the Charlatans? Yeah. Tim Burgess, he was the lead singer of the Charlatans, mm. but he has this these things called Tim's Listening Party, mm. where he gets a, an album and the person who made the album, basically, so, you know, whether Lloyd Cole or, or whoever, you know, he's a huge following. So all these people, hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people, will sit down and put on the album, and then the artist will go, okay... You know, he got, like, say, the producer, Hunky Dory yeah. by David Bowie, and he'd go, well, you know, on this, we decided to get, you know, a grand piano or whatever. So he's done, I don't know, is it 500 or something? Wow. Like, so, like, that's where a lot of the music kind of ear is going. Yeah. When, you know, that I would normally be able, when I was doing it on RTE, I might be able to get some of them to listen to mine, but they're all kind of going, oh, well, I just have to listen to... An analysis of Massive Attacks album or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So wow. anyway, that I I've been managing to keep busy anyway, yeah. but that, it's not paid. Like yeah, know? yeah, that's it. Like that's the thing. It's like you're just kind of keeping busy, kind of just keeping some momentum going of some kind. You know, that's it. And like with your book, what we're saying is your your book's about your health issues. What it was? What is it? Uh, your health no, issues? No, no, no. Sorry, uh, the health issues are what might be delaying me writing the book. Mm. Uh, the book is not to do with health issues in terms of subject matter. I have uh, chronic Lyme disease. Right. So, like, I wasn't diagnosed for years and years. Mm. I just always felt knackered, and I had a lot of like severe digestive problems. Right difficulty concentrating uh waking up and not feeling rested you know like funnily enough a lot of it is long covid symptoms yeah um so it's it's hard for me to know yeah. when when you know the last few months i've been feeling pretty bad and sneezing and stuff and i'm thinking like well i'm presuming this is just what i always had rather than i've, yeah. I've got long covid you know so it's just made things a little bit hard in terms of i just couldn't keep touring yeah, just being away in a hotel and trying to get food and yeah. um, you know I mean you're working on the English circuit you, you know how long it takes to like it seems to be two hours to get anywhere yeah. and two hours back so right. then you know like I, I lived in London um, for two years hmm. and then I was kind of going back and forth for a number of years hmm. and I was just I was just knackered all the time you yeah know? so I've had to try and be a bit clever about i mean you know yourself a lot of those club gigs they're really for money yeah. i mean it's not as if, as if somebody's going to see you and i don't know you know I, I don't want to insult any of the gigs but you know you do yeah. an art center milton Keynes supporting somebody and you know you'd be pretty lucky if that's going to change your life so when it's hard physically to do it i mean i haven't actually been on a plane at all since 2010 right yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to kind of, uh, especially during a pandemic, make a big deal of it, but yeah. like, there were days where shaving was an effort. Jeez, yeah, yeah. St still are, really, you know. Mm. Um, so, like, the, the walk has to be half an hour at the most, and yeah. that's it for the day, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was doing, like, 100 and 
120 gigs a year, but yeah. I just can't do it anymore, you know. It breaks you down, like you know. I mean, I mean, even even without an illness, it's a grueling grind of a process, isn't it? Trying to go everywhere and like kind of you know the long hours driving and everything like that, and it, oh, that on top of it, did, like how, how did you contract it? Was it some were you somewhere? Do you, I don't even know where. You get it from a tick bite. Tick bite, right, right. Classically, a deer tick. I don't know. I mean, the thing was that I had it before I did stand up. Huh. So it just wasn't obvious what it was. Yeah. Um, so it's not that I developed it from overdoing it or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, it kind of went back and forth. I mean, I suppose I was kind of 27 or 28 when I got it. So yeah. I was probably, you know, st- stronger then, you know. Yeah. But I, I'd have, uh, I did a lot of kind of alternative therapies and yoga and meditation and yeah so i'd have years where it wasn't as bad but it was always kind of there i just didn't really tell people about it certainly because comedians aren't a good audience for (laughs) they just thought it was kind of funny you know yeah for uh, sympathy empathy or anything of any kind (laughs) yeah well i I used to i used to do a lot of material i don't know what i was doing it when we together but i used to do a lot of material when i started about not being able to drink yeah because i had to go off drink because of it right and i was oh the amount of shit you have to put up with yeah. certainly in those days it might be yeah. changing now young people seem to be more about working out now but in those days not drinking in Ireland was a big big deal That's so right. i had about half an hour on it you know it was a big part of the show so. yeah that you had a bit of like about saying you know you know the girl I don't know if it's the same girlfriend you had at the time but you said like you know um you're putting up with um me because I was what I was going to say it was me <laughs> you know it was like um, oh yeah yeah well that that that's uh what they thought it was uh, at the time right um, you know and and you know I, I was certainly aware that it was the same Ruth was my name but my partner I only met her in 2014 so um, right. You know, I mean, I, I, all those jokes about being single were, were based on something they weren't uh, just to pose. Like. I mean, you're not a big fella like myself. I'm not not very. I'm not very tall. Um, like, and it's like the the thing, isn't it? You, did you ever get asked if you're a jockey? I bet you get asked that a lot. Do you? Yeah, I found in England, especially, I, I really like. I got a lot of that when I was a kid, and I've no fucking patience for it anymore. Yeah, so. that's it. Well, people used to come up to me in places like the backyard and they'd say congratulations and of course I think they were uh, saying good gig and uh, I go oh thanks and they're yeah you, you were brilliant in Aintree oh uh, right know? yeah so it's kind of half fucking high really yeah. you know I mean I, I the thing with me was that I actually grew very late in my head I think I'm even smaller than I am like when I was in school I was like you know people can believe how small I was yeah. and I got I guess nobody seems to be getting be able to get over it and, and like when you're mm. actually I mean it's probably the same with any anything mm. like physical like I, I could never quite understand like well how is this me fucking up by being small like yeah. I have no control over it so like you know <laughs> it's not that I know self-control like you know it's just like like what, why is this such a big deal to you like yeah. you know yeah it's like it's like you know a tall person oh do you play basketball isn't it it's exactly the same fucking thing isn't it you know yeah i mean i suppose i uh, for some reason i have less fellow feeling with tall people <laughs> 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 i you know i was whether up there and all this i mean pe- people just i mean i think it's just literally a physical thing that yeah. either if you're a good bit below them or a good bit above them they notice it but it's not um like des bishop was posting a photo from a festival that we did in America in uh, 2002. I hadn't seen a photo, he was just going through all the photos. It was it was a nice festival to play. It was um, Dara was there, Jason Bourne, yeah. Colin Murphy, you know, and like all of them really, and you know, I suppose I would conveniently blame my illness, but of them, a lot of people would know me now, you know. So a number of them were saying, oh, who's the jockey? Like, you know, and right. it, it's just the lowest form of weight. Like, yeah, so totally. It's really, it's really let themselves, letting themselves down, really. Like, yeah, low-hanging fruit. No, you know, no pun intended, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, Something like that. But like, so so when, when what year did you start then, Michael? Uh, 97. 97. And where was your first gig? I was lecturing in UL, in University of Limerick, 
in law yeah. and um that was my background was you know i had qualified as a solicitor yeah. and then i had started lecturing in limerick and i was writing um i was always writing fiction there was a, a law or a, a comedy club that I'd heard about in Limerick, and I actually never made it down to it, but I made it down to a kind of an open mic night in, um, I don't know if you know Limerick, have you ever? No, I really know. No. Yeah, well, there's a teacher training college called Mary I, Mary Immaculate, mm. and there's a kind of a, a Mary I pub, if you want to say, like kind of where all those students mm. used to drink. They train as teachers, you know, and they had a talent night, and so that was the first gig was I was kind of chickening out of it for ages and then yeah. finally I went down and I had a lot of stuff written okay and that, was the, that was the first one yeah. and what was your first joke well funnily enough uh, I had a lot of the jokes I mean it, it would be pretty <laughs> slightly delusional to say that I'm famous for her, but like there, were, there was a few jokes that ended up as being big jokes for me you know yeah I do remember I had if you remember stuff that uh, it, it's one of them was a joke that I kind of always felt like, why can't I get that to work? I should be able to get that to work. Yeah. Um, the joke was, you know, I'm living in Limerick and everybody plays rugby and everybody wants to show you how sincere and authentic they are when you meet them. So when you shake hands with them, you nearly break your hands. Yeah. And, you know, me being quite slight as well, you know. Uh, so the joke was something along the lines of, uh, I suppose it's a good job, I'm not an Eskimo, I wonder how you rub noses sincerely. <laughs> and, yeah. and, I, and I, you know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good idea, yeah. uh, but I suppose when I got a bit more into stand-up, I kind of thought, well, either something belongs in a chunk, yeah. or... You know, I don't know, you know, if it's just a kind of a one-off line, well, what yeah. if it doesn't work? But if it's part of, you know, what I'm talking about, you know, then I talk for another 10 minutes on, you know, masculinity or whatever. Yeah. But uh, a joke that was in the, I was writing a book and the line was, I used to get a hard time in school. I know it's only teasing, but when you're cross-eyed, you can't just look the other way. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> well, now people, you can't. Quote unquote, you can't say anything anymore, but <laughs> like people would be a bit more inclined to kind of get shocked at stuff. To yeah, it's har harmless, really. Like, yeah. you know, it's just a gag. But so, yeah. so I, d I didn't win the night or anything, mm. but funny enough, the guy who won the night, he's now back doing stand up, a guy called Sean Bagley, right? But having been a teacher for years yeah. and stuff, and I used to just meet him when he was a punter, but he's recently started gigging, and I've met him a few times, and he, you know, he obviously, we, we both remember, I think it was his first gig. Wow. But funnily enough, he actually had a line about, and you heard, I sent you the, the recording of the yeah. show, so you'll know this joke, but yeah. he had a line about, I was hunting for the clitoris. Yeah. And I always thought, there's a joke there, and he, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't make a joke of it. It was it was part of something else, yeah. you know. So that's where I led to, you know, the the, the gag about yeah. spend years hunting for the clitoris and maybe I just don't have one. In yeah. Punchline, like, well, that's where that's where that comes yeah. from. So not, nothing's lost. Thing is, a lot of people, a lot of uh, comedians I've interviewed have been lawyers. As well. at least at least four people I've I've interviewed are are from that uh, industry se several several that you haven't interviewed um bob mortimer was a solicitor oh yeah um, john cleese huh. was in law was in law uh, yeah. jerry ryan oh yeah <laughs> yeah uh, irish dj yeah. um I, I i would say that um well i mean i suppose it depends on what generation you are but most of the people who did law in my time were people who, who loved the english language but yeah. didn't want to teach because there was no there was no work yeah. so if you were fascinated with language you could enjoy a degree in english and history but after that you'd just be teaching english yeah. and history you know so th there was a theory that a lot of law students were really sort of frustrated art students right know? that's it because you know you go through school and they go oh, i want to do art no you don't you don't do art no you, you gotta do a trade or uh something that's uh you know lawyer <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, ta I'm talking about I'm talking about arts now, oh, yeah. which which would be uh, you know 
the humanities, like, yeah, yeah. English and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, I would have made the decision, really, but, I mean, it wasn't, like, I remember doing a gig in the 2000s in Dublin, in the International, yeah. and I said to some, this group of students, and I said to him, like, oh, what do you study? And he said, mm. horology. And I went, what's horology? Mm. And he went, well, you know, it's hands for clocks. And okay. I was just amazed because when I went to college, the careers were so limited. It yeah. was just like, well, it's science or arts or commerce yeah. or medicine, you know, whereas when things got a bit better, you know, the, the people were doing the most uh, arcane and abstract, kind of abstruse or whatever the word is, yeah. sort of things, you know. Um, but that, that I, I mean, I don't know what style of comedy the other people you interviewed were are, but you know, a lot of law people certainly would be interested in playing with words. Certainly, yeah. I like to do all that stuff. But doing a, a talent show, even in in '97. That for me, that that I was like, where like does Limerick culturally um, advanced city like? Because I I never I never saw a talent <laughs> yeah, show yeah. when I was growing like '97. I was like, what talent shows? What the fuck is that? Well, like? you know, like an open mic night. I mean, oh you yeah, know, you, you you would get more of that, I suppose, in a kind of a college. Like when when I was in college, the big thing was debating. Yeah, and anybody who fancied themselves as funny would do debating. Right. Which was a lot of heckling for me, shamefully, like, you know, just trying to be funny, make the audience laugh. I wasn't so much into the speeches and all that. Yeah. I can't say I came across that many. I mean, in Dublin, they'd have the Battle of the Axe and yeah. stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. So what happened then, you know, just for what it's worth, is there was a competition on the program, Kenny Live, yeah. uh, Pat Kenny's yeah, yeah. program. Kenny Dead, as they used to call it. <laughs> yeah, uh, the plank of wood that he is. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah. TV3 used to have uh, advertise it with Kenny from South Park. Yeah, uh, yeah. They killed Kenny. (laughs) But um, so I entered that, and again, I, I I mean, probably it might be reversed to some comics where I suppose what I was told was you have the material now to learn the performance, whereas a lot of people might have started the other way around, you know. uh, I thought that was slightly exaggerated because I was used to standing in front of crowds. Yeah. I just had a very low key and still have a low key way of delivering it. Mm-hmm. But certainly I had a lot of reasonably good gags because I'd been writing for years. Yeah. One of the judges in this competition, the competition was typical RTE, where the losing semi finalist won it. Uh, right. Yeah. So, like it was fixed, basically. Yeah. They cancelled the semi final and brought back the losing semi-finalists yeah. and they abandoned the idea of a judging panel and they did it off the audience anyway Classic. whatever but yeah. uh, through that i met an irish times journalist mm. and he said oh, why don't you play the comedy seller and i rang the guy in the comedy seller and he said we're doing heats for so you think you're funny um the newcomers competition so i didn't know what that was i didn't really know anything about any of this i said okay uh, I had done three gigs, so yeah. Tommy Tiernan had won. So I think it's funny the previous year. Wow. So he was um, seeing the heat, and I had a joke about trying to explain something to somebody. In a, you might even remember this: a guy picking a fight with me in a pub. And yeah. I was trying to get through to this guy, and I said, you know, I, the joke was, like, you know, there's no getting through to him. It was like telling knock-knock jokes to a Bedouin. Yeah, and Tommy leapt to his feet and started clapping. <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah. was kind of going like, because I, I knew who he was; I'd actually seen him live. Yeah. You know? So afterwards, he said, "Who who are you?" Like, and I said, "Well, you know, I'm just this lecturer. I was I was starting a year out to write." And he said, "Do you want to do gigs with me in Galway at the Arts Festival?" Yeah. And I said, "Okay." And the next thing, I was a comedian. Brilliant. So th- that was how it happened. Wow, you know? that's amazing, amazing. In Galway, you did the, the your supported Tom Tiernan. Well, he was doing lunchtime shows, so yeah, it was it was me and Jerry Mallon. I don't know if you know yeah, Jerry Mallon. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I can't remember. There was a few other newer acts. I can't remember if we rotated or how we did it, but it was like twenty minute slots. It was amazing. So early. And I still meet people who saw me then. You know, yeah. who maybe never saw me since. You know. 
So you gigged in Ireland for how many years then? Um, I gigged in Ireland till 2003. All right. And then I moved. I'd been kind of dipping my toe into the UK. Yeah. And uh, in 2003, I moved and lived in London for a few years then. Did a solo show in Edinburgh in 2002, which you might find this that a lot of London club owners were not particularly impressed with me doing a solo show in Edinburgh. I thought this would be uh, a way of getting booked, but yeah. they, at the time anyway, they just kind of thought like, oh, it's arty shy guy. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, when you have to play my my pub. Yeah, you know, my rules. Like, my, my punters, my punters are not like that. Yeah. Know? So. Um, so yeah, so then I did a solo show in 2005 and I came back to Ireland in, after Edinburgh 2005. Well, you see, so you did the, your first show. Where did you do that show? I did both of them. All the stuff I did, I did, I did a, a group show in 98 mm. when I was still pretty new in the Gilded Balloon. Everything I did was in the Gilded Balloon. Oh wow, it's great. So there was me and Deirdre Kane. Deirdre. Yeah, then yeah, you know what you know what I'm talking about. I, I, the name, I, not the name, the names ring a bell, but I, I don't know. I, it's just been so long since I've been out of Ireland. Yeah, like something. she, she's an actress, uh, but she'd have a pretty. She gave up stand up for a good while and came back to it recently. She yeah. was in Paths to Freedom. I, I don't know. She's been in a lot of things. That yeah. You, okay. Uh, you know Chris O'Dowd's yes. sitcom. Yes. Right. Yeah, okay. No, I haven't seen that. I'll check, I'll check that out. Anyway, I did that in 98. I did the Gilded Balloon in 2002, and then up went 2005. Right. And uh, which of those shows your favourite show? I mean, in terms of losing money, uh, <laughs> yeah. the, like, like the 2002 one, I really went in under the radar. Hmm. I, just, I just went, right, I'm not going to spend a lot of money on this. So I was told that if I wanted music to play me on, I'd have to pay X amount. And I just went, well, I wanted any music. So so then when one of the reviews said that, you know, I had taken everybody by surprise by walking up to the microphone. Um, I don't yeah. even know if there was a microphone, but certainly walking up to the stage. Yeah. So I kind of thought, well, maybe that's a false economy. So the next time I went back, I got some nice reviews, yeah. but not many reviews. And I did pretty well financially, a good word of mouth. Mm. And at that time, there wasn't that many people doing shows. Like, this is the thing with gatekeepers. I mean, it's all very well to curse the gatekeepers. But if you can get past the gatekeepers, well, then... You know, I was in, you know, vouched for by the Gilded Balloon, yeah. and there wasn't a thousand shows in every coal shed in Edinburgh. So yeah. you get a few good reviews, and you get good word of mouth. And I was, I was doing good houses. You know, I broke even really. Yeah. Um, I spent some money on photographs that initially I was kind of taking off and saying, oh well, I lost X amount, but then I kind of thought, sure, like the photos are nothing to do with Edinburgh, you know. Yeah. So then I did it in 2005 where I put a good bit of money into it and I got PR and I got a lot of reviews. Like everybody, I lost money. Was it like um, was it like 10 grand or something crazier? It wasn't 10, but it was probably five or six, maybe. But I mean, that was what you were told was pretty standard. You yeah. know, the trouble for me was because I had the fatigue I didn't want to get into a cycle of, okay, well, now I'm Edinburgh is like, you know, a loan shark and I'm throwing money at it and yeah. spending my year gigging and gigging and gigging where I just wasn't physically putting that well. And I kind of felt, well, I'm a writer. Can I not just yeah. go and write a script? And, you know, so. I mean, I probably should have toured that show around Ireland, and again, I wasn't that well, but... I mean, Edinburgh is an experience, but yeah. um, certainly the paid fringe, I mean, y y you know, you would kind of think, like, well, why am I... You know, I'm at a certain level where I can play John and I can mm. play the store, you know, not always London, but certainly the store in Manchester, and yeah. the, the branches of the store, and I'm an adult, and I'm, you know, whatever it was at the time in my late thirties, yeah. and I, I'm supposed to take this mad punt on Edinburgh every yeah. year, and, yeah. you know. So 
I'm not sure I've changed my mind about that really. I mean, you can get lucky with Edinburgh. Yeah. Like I'd be pretty friendly with Tommy Tiernan. Partly, mm. you know, well, I suppose a lot of it would be. I started a little bit after him, and he was very good to me. You yeah. Know? And I was in Edinburgh when he won the Perrier. Like in those days, winning the Perrier would change your life. Yeah. You know, and you know he had a very good agent early on because he had done. I probably did the competitions too early. I wasn't really ready. Whereas by the time he did it, he was already had been on the Late Late Show, I think. Wow. Jeez. So, I mean, there was a bit of muttering at the time among yeah. some of the other Irish about that. But, yeah. Um, Classic, like, but, go away for like 10 years, come go and do the uh, So You Think You're Funny and off you go. Like, yeah. Yeah, well, there was a bit of that going on where, yeah. you know, you were you were seen as maybe being a little foolish yourself to do it when you were actually a newcomer but then they actually kind of started clamping down on that they do their inquiries and find out but anyway i don't know whether the kind of the i mean i suppose some of this is nostalgia but certainly having been there starting in 98 you know i did really feel that every year the accommodation got more expensive that's crazy every gig was being reviewed somewhere so if you got a four-star review like i got a a four star view in the list but then there'd be people with four stars from hairline.com and <laughs> one for review and all like all these websites so mm-hmm. like you know i mean i'm sure they're all great but you yeah. know it kind of devalues then like well look the guy who reviewed me is a professional reviewer and that used to mean that people would read it and go okay well this guy in the list likes it we should take a punt on it yeah. even though we don't know who this guy is but then Every poster started having four star reviews, so yeah. it's much harder to stand out. You know? That's right. Live in New York for a bit as well, or just do the festival? No, that was just a, a one off festival. Um, it was actually a, a funny one because there's kind of one main agency here, and I'm not with them. I suppose, you know, most of the people going were with that agency. What happened was that the girl who ran the festival was at an award ceremony for Irish people in New York. The, the connection was that the two of them were getting an award. This girl, Tracy, very nice woman. And she met this girl, Anne, and Anne said um, that she was a lawyer. I can't remember whether Tracy had some connection, but anyway, they, for some reason, this they started talking, and Tracy said, well, I run a comedy festival. And Anne, who I hadn't seen for years, and liked, but was not, like, huge buddies with but yeah. but liked her said oh i know a guy who's a lawyer who's a comedian that's funny you should say mm. um and she said oh that's very interesting so the next thing they rang my brother in ucc my brother lectures in ucc mm. and i don't know wh- whether they got us confused but i got a message from my brother saying will you ring this girl tracy <laughs> so tracy then was in ireland to look at you know, the people from the agency, really. Mm. But she very kindly came to see me and uh, I got into the festival. So, nice. You know, so it was pure uh, happenstance, really. You're not a twin, Michael, are you? No, but no. my brother looks very like me. Right. And we used to be mistaken for twins, but huh. no, we're not. But like, so you went to do the festival and uh, amazing festival, was it? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to do it. I mean, I suppose we were really playing a lot of kind of Irish venues, you know. Yeah. I played a club, the Comic Strip Live. Yeah. I don't know if you know that. It's yeah. kind of a famous New York club. And like that, I'd have liked to do more of. I mean, there's a kind of a little bit, you know, a thing with visas and stuff. But yeah. I kind of think that my style sort of suits America, you know. I think they like uh, gags and one-liners. and Yeah. You know, they like that kind of craft stuff, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it was very interesting. I mean, you know, like the, the late, I don't have you have you played in America at all? Or? Not yet, no. Well, like there's a thing where, which you don't really realize until you go there, that um, like they pay to do open spots. Yeah. And they have to queue outside in the snow. Uh, well, it, was, you know, it doesn't always have to be snowing, but it was wow. snowing when I was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was a little bit of a, a culture shock for me yeah. where I met somebody and I mean, you know, I was kind of took about touch, she was cute and she said she was doing an open spot on my night off. So I mm. said, oh, I'll go along to this. And I said, maybe slightly conceitedly to the guy, well, you know, if you want me to jump up 
yeah. for a few minutes, you know, yeah. and he said like, well, that'll be whatever it was, $10 or $20 oh, or whatever. Wow. And I was going like, you know, like, uh, you know, it's one thing you're not paying me, but there's no way I'm not, yeah. I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to pay you for the honor, you know. That's right. Like they had bringers as well oh. for the late show where yeah. you get booked, but you have to bring people along. So it's quite a different scenario, you know, but it was very interesting to play it. I mean, we played in Boston as well, uh. in a place called Lansdowne Road, would you believe? Yeah, so, yeah. But, you know, like, I wouldn't be as interested in playing to, you know, you want to kind of play to Americans if you're going to be, or, or well, I know New York is such a mix, but, I mean, it was interesting to play to all these Irish-Americans, but you kind of think, well, you know, they're probably going to go for this anyway, you know, yeah. but... I'd be curious to to try and do more to I mean that was the thing with the recording I sent you as well. So I, I I'm curious to kinda of see I, I sent it to an American guy who does the albums thread, actually the thing I was talking about earlier. Hmm. And just to see whether he'd get all the references and, and he said that it was fine, you know, maybe yeah. one or two, but I would have a bit of romance about I like a lot of kind of old time American stand up yeah. I like the idea that like I like John Mulaney. I like, I like yeah. stand-ups that kind of seem to have worked on their jokes. And I'm not as much on people who come up with a lot of charisma that I think they're slightly bluffing me. You know? yeah. yeah. Swagger. I, well, at the end of the day, I mean, I have this friend. I don't know if you know Trevor Crook. No. You know Trevor Crook? Australian stand-up? No, I don't know him, no. Well, Trevor would just say, instead of saying stuff was shite, he'd say, well, what I like are lines. And I think that's yeah. a good way of putting it, would be, you know, well, good luck to the people who are a lot of energy and yeah. charisma, but what I like tends to be where I can see, not so much even seeing the work, because yeah. that sounds a bit tedious, but no. I, d I, do, I do like, I mean, I know or without getting into the whole Woody Allen thing, but yeah, like the the Woody Allen stand up of the sixties was a big thing for me. You yeah, know? I just I also saw stand up as kind of a branch of writing, really. Yeah, a little puzzle, isn't it? Like you know, just like what goes there, the next bit goes there. How far can I take this bit? How far will it go? You know, and then a well thought out bit like is way better than like just as you say fluff. You know, just kind of uh, just energy. Well, there is this thing of trying to, it is a bit like music or, you know, I'm not a big maths person, but I guess like maths where you're trying to get something to work. And, and a lot of the time, you know, I mean, this is, I suppose, why it's hard not to be gigging because yeah. you can do, you can only do so much on a page. You That's can right. think, well, that looks good. But there were things that uh, I had that I just spent ages trying to get I knew there. Were, I knew. Okay, this is a good idea. It's a funny idea, and I just could not get the right phrasing. Yeah. And then one day, I got the right phrasing, and now it's one of my biggest jokes. Yeah. And it's 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 kind of the beauty and the annoying thing about it is that it it's just so fiddly that yeah. you know you're going well. It's the same idea, but for some reason, one way of putting it doesn't strike them as funny, and the other way really tickles them. And yeah. I, you know. You try and learn some of the rules of engagement so to save yourself having to slave for hours, but it's hard to. Sometimes it's just like, okay, I'm gonna have to keep rolling this one out yeah. and hope that eventually, like Perkins. I have a line. I mean, you know, it's be bad taste to go to your own stuff, but I I had this thing where it's not in the recording you heard now. It was a line about I was doing stuff about feminism, right? And, uh, Sinead O'Connor, I'd read mm. this thing by Sinead O'Connor, I mean, you know, this may not even strike you as funny, but she, she said uh, it was kind of around the time of the new man, I don't know if people even remember the new man now, but, mm. you know, the kind of sensitive man of the 90s, before the kind of loaded kind of oasis thing, there yeah. was a kind of thing of, well, should men be sensitive or whatever, and she did an interview, and she said, well, what men don't get it like sometimes women we want a, a man to be you know gentle and tender and thoughtful mm. and other times we just want to be slammed up against a wall and i thought well you'd want to get that one right <laughs> yeah and 
it's unexpectedly like gets a really really big laugh i mean yeah. i kind of thought oh that's it that that's all i have to say like just put it that yeah. way and it works you know yeah so it's kind of funny like that I really like that line, but it's quite quiet and, and obtrusive, and you know I'm not quite sure why it works. But you know yeah. you kind of go, okay, well I don't have to slave over that one for some reason. I've got that one. I'll put that down. And, yeah, because you're very low key on stage, Michael. Is there any time when you've like, you know, when it's kind of got uh, for a bad gig, uh, that's really rowdy? What do you do? Yeah, um, I was listening to you talking to Chris, Chris Kent. And I, ha- I have heard that, that, you know, you, you, you even maybe talk quieter and then they might go, yeah. you know, but I found, I, I do find that when people are just talking, I remember my first year of doing stand-up, I went on holiday to San Francisco mm. and there was a guy called Bobby Slayton, who was this old school American comic and he was doing a workshop downtown. I just was looking for stuff to do while I was visiting and I saw this workshop and I said, I'll go to this. He was in Get Shorty, I don't know if you know yeah, that. I, I know his name for sure. Yeah, he's yeah. he's a guy, I mean, I wouldn't say I could really tell you any of his jokes, but I, yeah. I kind of, again, you know, the name, you kind of hear about it. He's yeah. really like been around for a long time. And he was talking about, you know, people acting up. Now, maybe this is an American solution, but... Uh-huh. He said, well, look, you know, don't ask them where they're from. There's nothing there, you know. Mm. He said, like, well, you can do a bit of batch with them. But he said, at a certain stage, it's a security problem. And I would feel that, that as time has gone on, some of the clubs here anyway, that very lax about security. Yeah. And really, you know, there's kind of stock stuff. And that can work. But I played in Jonglers in Battersea. Yeah. And there was a, a hen party in the front, and they were just talking. And I think Chris was probably saying that, but uh, that's worse than being heckled because if someone's heckling you, they're yeah. focused, and it's kind of you or them really, and you can take them down. But if they're just not giving their respect to listening, and then other people in the audience can hear that, and it just looks like you're losing. Yeah. So anyway, I thought, okay, I don't particularly like doing stock, but I'll do stock. Mm. And I said to them, isn't it terrible when you go out for a chat and someone builds a comedy club around you? Yeah. Really, really, really old line. You yeah. know? But you usually does the trick at least for a few minutes, you know? Yeah. Um, nothing. Yeah. Nothing from the audience at all, you know? Yeah. And I thought, that's kind of funny. Usually that works, you know? Maybe yeah. I shouldn't be doing stock, you know? Afterwards, I said to the MC uh, at a table at the front or a pain, like, you know, yeah. and I, I got nothing for that line. And he said, well, the trouble was when you were in the toilet, I had done that line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so that made me very uh, wary. Of, yeah. Like a, a lot of the time, like say here, I don't know if you've ever played the Laughter Lounge. Do you know the Laughter yeah. Lounge? Yeah. With the yeah, one in, yeah. in Dublin or Galway? I haven't played the one in Dublin. I played the one in Galway, and uh, that was when I was really, very, very, very new. Like, oh god, and it was one of the worst deaths I've ever had in my life. Oh my god. Where, where was the laughter lounge in Galway? Uh, the Rushing Dove. Oh, is that what they were calling it at the time? Yeah, the I think so. Lounge? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. That shifted around, you know. Huh. Ke- was it Kevin? The guy Kevin, who. Yeah. Kevin. Yeah. Uh, yeah Ke- he uh, he gave me a T-shirt, and it was uh, extra large. And I, uh, Angelou Sarukas was the uh, the headliner, brilliant. And uh, Carl Spain was um, emceeing. And I can't remember who the other middle act was. He's brilliant. And I was just like, oh, they applauded me on. And I just got just nothing coming uh, coming off. Like, absolutely, it was packed. And, uh, oh, God. Um, and then, so Kevin gave me this T-shirt with Laughter Lounge, Galway, Roaching Dove. Um, and it was an extra large one. And I just thought, yeah, I got a lot of growing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was metaphorical. Yeah, right yeah, it was. It was great. It was great. Probably had the right size. All right, but I said, like, yeah, this is this is um, you'll, you'll one day, one day you'll fit this. And and, and do you fit it? Or no? uh, I I, <laughs> I, 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 I emotionally yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, um, yeah, you got comedically fat. Uh, yeah, that's it. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, well, I I was gonna say that the laughter lunch Dublin would have a lot of birthdays. And, mm. Hence, hence the stags. Yeah. And 
you know, I kind of feel, you know, financially, I can't afford to say this, but spiritually, I would often feel I'm not in it to try and persuade somebody on a stag. Like, you know, if I was on a stag, I wouldn't want to listen to some comedian either, yeah. you know. Yeah, uh, and, and plenty of times, like, a lot of the people on the stag weren't in on the decision to do comedy. They probably yeah. would have liked to be somewhere else. But so it, I, I think sometimes I just have, having played in the circuit in London, I did get pretty good at surviving, certainly surviving and getting stuff, abuse hurled at me. Yeah. But there's going to be nights where, you know, you're playing a club and you're kind of going, well, what was I thinking of having something that required any thought? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. that sounds very arrogant to say, but you know what I mean? I like, the, you know, the, the, what, what, what am I at? Because the guys who are on with me who are going, look at the head on you, and, you know, where'd you get that jumper yeah. and stuff are storming it. But then there's going to be nights where they're going, oh, they're really dead tonight. This yeah. And, That's it. and I'm going, they're a listening crowd. This suits me. Yeah. I prefer um, art center shows if I can. I started doing kind of the slowest tour in the world, really, just a, an art centre here, an art centre there, doing a solo show in the last few years before the lockdown. Yeah. I, ju I just like that kind of link with theatre where sometimes people think that means that you, you're not going to get any laughs. But, you know, I, I do like the idea of being the entertainment and taking them on a journey for an hour yeah. rather than having to survive and... I mean, I played Jongler's Bow, and it was just horrendous. And I had a guy who I knew from college who'd never seen me do stand-up. Yeah. And he came along to see me in Bow. And I mean, you know, they barely noticed I was on the stage, uh, really. It was just... Yeah. But, but I, would, I would have a kind of a quite self-serving attitude to that. I've kind of recalibrated, so I don't believe in dying. Like, I, I kind of think, like, well, look... You know, first of all, free and gigs. I, yeah. mean, I think Chris was talking about... A kind of a free and gig in the Silver Springs. Like, I just think, like, you know, you, you, my top 10, 20 worst gigs have always been free and they're not committed. Yeah. So I don't regard that as dying. And if they're all pissed up and stags and hens, I mean, I won't, I won't throw the gig. I'll do everything I can, but I yeah. don't see it as dying if they don't, if I don't get a big response. What you do find then is you get people coming up. You know, maybe not huge amounts, but I will get people coming up going, well, thank God you turned up yeah. because for what they want, you know, that they wanted something like what I was giving. Yeah. So, you know, so, I, I think you just have to stick to your guns. Really. That's right. That's right. And so since 97, is there any gig like nothing to do with your your performance or anything like that or or how you handled it? But like, is there any weird, the weirdest thing that's happened to you while you've been on stage? I don't know, this isn't quite when I'm on stage, but what comes into my head was I played the GPO. You were talking about the Russian Dover. The GPO was kind of the yeah. older club, and you used to do two nights in City Limits and a night in the GPO yeah. with Jerry Marlin's club. Yeah. And I was on with Rich Hall. My brother was there. His wife was from Ballinrobe. I don't know Ballinrobe, but it's kind of like it's Mayo, but it's very close to Galway. So they had come to the gig, maybe my second year doing stand-up. Huh. The audience in Galway can be very raucous, you know. Yeah. And uh, I had done my gig and it had gone well. And then Rich Hall was on. They were very funny. Like people, hmm. somebody came in and they all went, "Hey, Roshi, oh, like this." Hmm. And Rich Hall went. Uh, he said something about. He tried to bring her into it. I think. They kind of went, oh, Russian, you're going to think you're like kind of implying that he was going to sleep with her. And he said, oh, look, I don't even know this woman. And they said, you will, you will. Like, you know, yeah. so it was really quite raucous. Yeah. And I was standing by the bar with my brother and they used to do these um, the tables had candles and bottles, you know, that kind of thing. Kind of yeah. Molotov cocktail thing. Oh, yeah. The candle in the bottle. There was a girl in the audience. And then this was a very Galway thing. Yeah. She had a plat, and she was leaning back, oh. and her plat went into one of the candles. Oh. And the people around her saw it and just thought, "This looks funny. Oh. Uh, let's just play this one out." Oh my god! And nobody, nobody told her. Oh. So the next thing, anyway, the fire 
her 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 brain caught fire basically yeah. and uh, it hit her neck and she just jumped like she didn't know what was happening. Jesus. I mean, I don't think she was in any danger. Yeah. Like it was more a small. I don't know, like a singe or something. Yeah, but yeah. It certainly gave her, and there was a little conflagration started. Yeah. So she she jumped up and went ah like this, <laughs> and this bouncer threw a pint over her. Oh. And Rich Hall was just going, "What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> like, and nobody would could explain or would explain what the hell was going yeah. on. Like, as far as he was concerned, the bouncer had just thrown a, <laughs> a pint glass over a yeah. for no reason. Yeah. He was having a very weird kind of gig. So yeah. then he finished and he went off and they cheered him to the rafters for an encore. And he came back on and he looked just so puzzled. <laughs> like, like I, I, what? And he said uh, a very true thing. He said, Irish people don't need a comedian. You can entertain yourselves. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that, that would that's be funny. one that sticks, sticks in the mind. In uh, all the years you've been going, like when you first started, I asked this question to everyone who uh, like I speak to. Is there any kind of model that you kind of saw yourself as in the past or now like it could be it could be a mythical creature could be a job it could be anything i know this is a hard question michael right is it t- take take your time i edit all a, these a, a unicorn you really you could be anything no, you want no, no. It could be I'm anything sure. you want it could be a unicorn with a job i don't mind man you could be anything uh, you could be a mixture of all those things you know like you could be at the beginning you could you could do a comparison you go at the beginning i thought i was this and now i'm this there's no rush i could just tell this this the story comes yeah. into my head, which it, it probably just shows my delusion about <laughs> my abilities. But when I was in the UK, I'd spend a lot of time, especially when I was living in Dublin, and then I'd go and I'd play John Gers Bristol or John Gers Birmingham, or mm. you know, I was doing one UK club a month, and at the time the exchange rate was pretty favourable, so I was making about for one weekend I was going to put a thousand euro mm. once you exchanged it. So it was worth my while to be schlepping across, you know. Yeah. And but I was finding I was very tired, and I was doing a lot of gigs to stags and hens, and a lot of the guys I was on with weren't necessarily doing stuff that I liked or mm. felt was comedically hugely interesting. Mm. So and we had done a, I can't even remember which John it was, maybe Birmingham, and the guy on with us, very nice fellow. Pretty hacky, really, you know, hacky. What would you say? His set was a bit hacky, you know. For yeah. a very nice fellow. And I sort of said, you know, oh, this is, I could get a bit tired of this now, like, you know. Yeah. And he said, well, and, you know, I'm a big music head. And he said, well, it reminds me of that uh, Billy Bragg song, um, Only a Northern Town. And yeah. one of the lines is, they go out every Friday and hear a basham out band in the bar. Yeah, and he said, uh, "That's what I see us as. We're the Basham out bar on a Friday, yeah. or Basham out bands on a Friday." And I found myself—I didn't say it to him, but I went like, "Well, I think I'm fucking Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I'm not a Basham out band. Nice. Like yeah. So, yeah. but uh, like, I, I, I did kind of feel that. Um, the thing about London is that in order to survive in a lot of those raucous clubs, you can sometimes stop doing what makes you different and interesting, yeah. I think. You know, I, I used to, when I started, or not when I started, when I was over there, Rosie Long was starting, like, a lot of the gigs, she was just dying, but she didn't seem to care. I mean, it was very interesting. Yeah. She just kept doing what she thought was funny. She never adjusted. She never, you know, you never sort of saw her going or reverse into reverse gear. Yeah. And I kind of thought, well, in a way, you're crazy. But in another way, if you can get an audience, it's very admirable. Yeah. Because, well, I thought you were, you, the question was kind of like what, trade or what vocations so yeah, I kind of like, thought well it's probably something like a seamstress or yeah. you know something <laughs> that involves a lot of polishing like a jeweler or a, mis- <laughs> a miser maybe you know? You could be all of those things. You could be all of that. Yeah. You can, but you're you're Brian Wilson. That's fine. Well, you know, but, but only Brian Wilson on pet pet sounds, not the not, right. not the little little juice coop guy. Like. Right, cool. All right then, that's cool. And is that like a beginning, or, or is that like is that like now? What do you, who are you now? Are you Brian Wilson now? Oh, I don't. 
I don't know. I mean, I, I did preface that by saying I'm totally deluded. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I think that um, I just want to, if I have a kind of a credo, uh. it's to, like, gags with stories, really. Yeah. So a bit Irish and a bit yeah. American. And uh, just, I suppose, not to... Yeah, I mean, this sounds a bit melodramatic, but not to let the demands of the clubs scare you from actually trying to do something a little bit subtle or a little bit original. Or, mm. Well, one of the reasons I started doing the, the book was like I kind of had a lot of jokes that I kind of, like I was I was always closing weekend shows, you know, not huge places, but you know, you're coming on at kind of half eleven on a Friday and. You know, you've got your new little jokes, and you're thinking, yeah. "Oh, they're so rowdy now!" Like there's yeah. no. And I had a, I had a joke. I mean, this might even translate. What the joke was? Oh, you know, my love life was not good when I was in college. I, I always seemed to be two magpies short of a girl. So one for sorrow, of course, yeah, for joy, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but like, you know, nobody was going to get that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like it would just be everybody's tanked up. So yeah. you know. The theory would be that you put that in your solo show and hopefully your crowd will go, oh, this is more of the sort of uh, um, anally worked out kind yeah. of... Uh, show your thoughts, isn't it? Show more of you rather than just play to the crowd. Well, I, I did the laughter lounge one time. Oh. You know, they get corporates in or whatever. Yeah. And the bouncer said to me, um, oh, Jesus, you know, he says like, there's a whole load of fucking lawyers in tonight, like oh, brilliant! And I was there, like these are my people, like <laughs> <laughs> great, nice one. So everybody else was sort of struggling, and like you know, this would be my ideal audience, yeah. like you know, because they're all going like, oh, I see the wordplay you did there, you know. Yeah, did you did you read low bollocks? Like, yeah, I know. Yeah, fuck's sake, oh god, what a bollocks! Yeah, I kind of just grinned really. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Like, you yeah. Know, you're talking about like how you know you kind of like doing very thoughtful well thought out jokes it's like yeah i remember i was um i was doing a gig this is in oh this is in wales a couple of years ago and there was this guy and it was he looked like a really mean fella now right you know just at the bar disrupting a whole show like and i was like oh fuck it i gotta say something to this guy because he's just gonna we're not i'm gonna die if i don't just do anything you know He's just distracting everyone and just drawing focus. And this guy, bald-headed fella, like Phil Mitchell kind of type, you know, um, had uh, a tattoo on the back of his head of a butterfly. And I was like, and so I thought I'd just address him, say, you know, you know, talk with guys, the guy at the bar. I said, let's not talk to the guy at the bar. He's so paranoid. He's already got eyes on the back of his head and no one got it. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> no one, no, no one got it. And I, I was warned not to say it as well. It's like, Winter, just don't say it. Don't. They're not going to get that. It's like, no, it's fucking brilliant. It's butterflies. <laughs> butterflies have eyes on their wings, and uh, no, no oh, one's going to fuck. Drunk crowd are not going to get that. I said, no, but it's fucking brilliant. And there, and so anyway, and so are I quick. There any, uh, yeah. Are there any lepidopterists? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Any, any, yeah, that's right. Oh, man. Comes, out, comes out with a big butterfly net. <laughs> finally, finally, someone said it that, that one person in the, in the back, like with it, with the net and the hat. See, the, the, the worst thing about those things, as well, is that sometimes you do come up with what seems like a great line, yeah. and even even if it gets a laugh, you're always going to be thinking, "Well, can I engineer that situation again?" And uh, it never, it never seems to work. Like I, I did a, a, a gig in the international and I said to this guy, where are you from? Yeah. And he said, I'm Dutch. And I said, how about the guy behind you? And he said, I'm Dutch too. And I said, what about you? To the guy behind him. And he was Dutch. And I said, a line of Dutchmen. And then I snorted them. Uh, yeah. You know, as, as a joke, like I was, yeah. like a line, like, you know. Yeah. And it got a huge laugh. Like, but yeah. then, you know. You're never going to get the configuration to no. work the next time. The no. Dutch people in the audience are going, oh, "Can I, can I get this in?" Like, can, can you, you know, just move? Can you just fucking yeah, move? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, can we stop now? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Uh, what's the name of your book? Uh, I, that's funny thing is, I don't really have a, a title for it. Right. Um, like it, it's basically about how Ireland has changed in my lifetime. You know, there's been huge changes, yeah. so it's kind of 
kind of a memoir, but kind of true the story, really, just of how I, I'd say I'm a pretty a good bit older than you would be. Well, I was born in the 60s, right. so um, I'm 53. So if you're born in 1980, so the church's power is beginning to wane in yeah. 92, so you don't really have that. And the ceasefires were kind of 94 and then mm. kind of 98, so you didn't really have that, I suppose. So yeah, so a lot of a lot of it would have changed. Really, you know, we, we were kind of in the middle of the troubles, mm. and we were totally run by the Catholic Church, mm. and you know all that stuff. So I'm just trying to really write about, you know, we were kind of brought up that all our teachers were so pissed off with Britain, you yeah. know, and they'd always say stuff like, you know, well, you notice we've no oak trees. Well, that's because the English cut down all our oak trees, yeah. like, you know, those fuckers. Yeah, like, yeah. So, you know, I, I just think it's kind of interesting to see just how different Ireland is. Really, yeah. You know? Well, so you don't, don't have a name for it yet, but do you know when you're going to, roughly going to be finished it, or do you know uh, in well, the next year I or so? I would have, I would have hoped uh, before the lockdown slowed me down, I yeah. was hoping that I would have been finished by now. So certainly this year, I would hope that I would have it all kind of polished off. You yeah. Know? So. Well, let me know, Michael, and uh, I will advertise as much as I can oh, yeah. on well, here and let you know. And I'd like to read it myself. Well, Michael, good luck with the book. Are you do- performing any shows coming up in the next few months? Is it thawing over there a little bit now? or? Like Boris is promising, as is his yeah. want, all sorts of things. But here it's a reverse, and there's no, there's no daylight on the horizon. Really, I don't don't know whether we'll be performing this year. Like I have to kind of mind myself because yeah. I have pretty much a pre-existing condition anyway. Yeah. So I don't really see anything. You know, I mean, I might see. Can I record some other stuff, maybe, and work on the book? I mean, I don't what it's going to be like over there do you think you're going to be gigging soon because i run two gigs over here in Hertfordshire, and um i've already started to book acts for the next few months like it's both of them are like once a month so it's like so well we're starting to i mean you you know i mean if you if you book you can always cancel yeah you know what i mean like uh, but i i would sort of think that i mean the trouble with the gigs here are I mean, maybe they're like where you are, but mm. they're all crowded rooms and they're recovery. Yeah, that's more or less the know. same. I mean, the social distancing thing, and we're not sure how it's going to work out, but everyone's getting very hopeful anyway. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's what kills you, isn't it? Though? Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's that's the very very with nail ending to this podcast. Uh, uh, you know, it's the it's I can what, how's he how's he say it's it's not the it's not the it's not the despair it's the hope, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I want that to be my last one. <laughs> don't worry, it's mine. We'll, we'll, we'll take it. All right, Michael. Me. Nice Michael. Me. Absolute pleasure, man, to talk to you and and uh, catch up with you and uh, to ask what you've been up to and what you're doing. And where can we find you? I'm on Twitter. Yeah. Now, do I know my handle? Um, it's uh, it's like the thing is, it's it's Michael. Me too. Yeah. It was done before me too was a thing. Yeah. It was a it was a pawn on me as well yeah. too. And people tend to think that I'm making some kind of statement. So it's, yeah. I have it here. It's at Mike Michael Me Capital M for Michael Capital yeah. M for me underscore two T double O. I'm on Facebook yeah. and uh, it really. I'm not. Uh, I'm too old to be good at this stuff really. Like, yeah. Uh, so. But Michael, as pleasure as I say. Yeah, and listen, thanks a million. It's it's good fun man. and good good luck with um, your own stuff. Cheers, man. All right. And that was episode eighty-seven with the very funny Michael Me. Go find him on Twitter. Again, his handle is at Michael underscore me, T-double-O. Go follow him on all the socials and go and see him live. You will not be disappointed. Excellent, well-written jokes. 
Next month, we have the amazing Charmian Hughes. There's something about watching her on stage. She's got a wonderful stage presence, sort of mixed between sort of like a, a fairy and a, a pixie and, and just like a, a clownish sort of joy about her that she just shares with the audience. It's wonderful to watch. She was just a joy to see close my gig in Hemel Hempstead about a year or so ago. So I thought I'd get her on the podcast and talk to her what she's been up to. She also sent me a calendar, which has been giving me joy every single month. She's got pictures of her doing silly stuff. It's just great. That's Charmaine Hughes for episode 88. And you can follow this podcast on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Winter Dominus. You can also join the Comedy Defect Facebook group. Now, if you like this podcast enough and you want to donate, that's okay. Just go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast, or donate as much as you feel this podcast is worth. If you don't have the price of a coffee, that's okay. Just tell your friends about your favorite episode, because it tells people where we are and what we're up to. But that's it for now. That was episode 87 with Michael Me. Next month, end of July, is Charmian Hughes. Until the end of July... I hope the weather is okay and you're out there enjoying yourself, maybe having a couple of barbecues. We'll speak to you at the end of July.